Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Jacob. Open your Bibles. It's not up on the screen, but if you've got Bibles, great. If not, I'm going to read it out loud anyway. And you probably know it off by heart, being incredibly awesome Christians anyway. John 4 verses 1 to 34. Um, I refer to this verse a lot. So all the scriptures you hear today are some of my favourites. They're my, uh, the ones that, you know, just some scriptures, all scriptures God breathed but some you just just resonate with you. And some of these ones just really resonate with me and they've shaped and formed my, my theologic view around certain things. Um, and John 4 verses 1 to 34, and I'm reading from the NIV, um, and it's where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. And I'll read it out. I'll lean on it really quickly and then we'll get into the vision, mission and the structures around that. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So who left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinchar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go back, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, you couldn't say that these days, could you? (laughs) Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and that, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or what are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for every person here today. Thank you for every person who listens to this via podcast or or video. Lord, I just pray that you speak through me today, that it's not my words, but it's something from you for us. Amen. Now, you might be wondering, uh, Jacob's talking about vision and mission today. Why did he start with that? And the truth is what I see in this passage is what I see the church needs to be like. In this passage, we see Jesus breaks cultural norms for the sake of people's salvations. The passage tells us that Jesus' disciples baptise people, not Jesus. So we see a ministry team doing the work, not just one leader making it all about himself. We see Jesus minister to a sinner with compassion, not condemnation. We see another life being transformed by the gospel. And we hear Jesus mention that he becomes full from doing the work of the Father who sent him. Church, my passion is to see Resonate Church be a place that's willing to break cultural norms for the sake of people's salvations. I pray that as Resonate Church, we don't build the profile of a senior pastor, but we build capacity in a whole range of people who can go out and minister and build the profile of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I pray we'll be a church that ministers with a leaning of compassion rather than a leaning of condemnation. And I pray that we be a church that doesn't find it unusual to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus, but rather an expected norm. And I pray that us, people of Resonate Church, become full. And by that I mean content, lacking nothing, not running tired, desiring nothing other than doing the will of God as we do the will of God. See, as we do the will of, will of God, just like Jesus said he was full, he didn't need anything, I pray that we build a church where people don't get worn out doing the will of God and get burnt out, but actually grow and be filled and on fire as we go about doing what we do. So that all being said, I'd like to spend the next period of time sharing about um, our vision, our mission, and I guess a little bit around what's got me to thinking how I think. As we know, I'm not your stock standard pastor. I'm a little bit weird and different. Um, if I was to ask you the last church that you were a part of, probably hard for Stephen Helen because this has been their church for a very long period of time, but most of us come from all different church backgrounds. If I was to ask you to recite the vision and mission and key values of your previous church, most people would stumble through them. If, I was, if you were to ask me, the last church that I pastored, to go through the vision, the mission and key values, I could probably do it. But if I was to ask the previous ministry team, and it's nothing against them, to recite it, 
maybe they'd each remember a little bit, but not the whole thing. And so in the world we live, everyone goes, you've got to have a vision, you've got to have a mission. And those things are good, but they're no good if no one knows them. So my wrestle over the last couple of months has been to build something that is powerful, yet simple, and something that can resonate in our hearts so that we can grab a hold of it and then know why we do what we do. If we were to ask people the question, why do you come to church on a Sunday? A lot of people would draw a blank because we're creatures of habit and we just do it. But it's a time we start to think through why we gather so that we can grow and then we can go out and make a difference in this world. Oh, look at that. So our vision at this church is simply to amplify the gospel in a new sound. And people go, well, what's that new sound? The truth is that new sound is a whole church being activated, being equipped and going and ministering. You know, we want to break the 80-20 rule. In 90% of churches in the world, there's 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Now, I understand that it's very hard to get a 100% rule, but I'd at least like a 90-10 rule. You know, my desire is that on any given Sunday, someone new can walk into this church and at the end of the service, they might have to ask who the senior pastor is. And that's not minimising my responsibilities. That's just saying that we've got such a trained, equipped and capable and gifted group of people that people just see leaders and see ministers all through the life of what we do in a church. If you think about it, this is the... I haven't preached for five weeks in the life of our church and our church continues to move forward um, with momentum. And so that's the sound. It's the sound of many hands, not just a few, actually at work. It's the sound of many feet moving forward in faith and hearts beating with that one um, agreeance that we're amplifying Christ in the context, in the care, in the community, in the calling that we're all here to be part of. And so the question is, well, that sounds all well and good, Jacob. How is that sound created? How is that achieved? And the truth is, because a lot of people go, what's the difference between a vision statement and a mission statement? The truth is your vision statement is something that you, you, you believe and want forever in a time and how that is achieved is how well you do your mission each day. And so our mission... So like one, two, three, four, five, six, a six-word vision statement. We can all learn that, right? Mission's even easier, three words. Our mission at Resonate Church is to gather, to grow, and to go. Um, they tell me, those that know a lot more about things than me, is that if you put imagery with words, you're twice as likely to remember it. So everything we've done from here on in comes in a triangle. So it's three words in a triangle. And we will get our graphic designer to make this a little bit nicer than my uh, little version here. But our mission is simply to gather together, to grow together and to go together. Matthew 28, Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 says this, and I'm reading it from the Amplified Bible. I never usually read from the Amplified Bible, but I love the wording around this. It says, Jesus came up and said to them, all authority and all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So our mission is outworked as we gather together to grow together in the knowledge and the likeness of Jesus Christ so that we can then go together to gather others, to grow others so that others can also go. Sounds pretty simple, hey? So I want to spend the rest of this morning just unpacking each of those three key words, how we gather, how we grow and how we go. And then... Ultimately, each of them have a triangle with three words. And so that's nine more sermons that you'll hear me preach throughout the rest of the year um, after we get through Watoto and Father's Day. Apparently, men, the ladies have got something super, super um, planned and surprise for us on Father's Day. So you can get ready for that. How we gather. We gather publicly we gather personal or personally, and we gather in packs. And some of you are going, no, we don't. Just, just, just hear me out. I think it's important that we understand that we need to gather on purpose for purpose. Because you can go to a surf club, you can go to a football club, you can go to a library club or a Pokemon club or a car club, and that's people gathering together. And there's a sense of community, but we gather on purpose as the church for purpose. And the purpose is that we grow together and we go together. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 say this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on, I love that, towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We meet in public gatherings. Most churches meet in public gatherings. We're meeting in a public gathering as we speak. Our doors are open. We have advertisement online, on Facebook, on signs, in um, hotels, in combined booklets and all those sorts of things. Most churches nail the public gathering spaces. Yet most churches also struggle with the smaller personal gatherings and the even smaller packs or discipleship mentoring gatherings. So we will continue as a church to hold public gatherings and services. And these are Sunday services. These are conferences. These are camps. These are barbecues and other outreach events and these sorts of things. And we see biblically that Jesus did this also. We see Jesus preach in synagogues. We see Jesus had his gathered 72 disciples and they met in, in a larger setting. We see Jesus had um, crowds that followed him and he preached to crowds, the Sermon on the Mount. We see him preach to the 5,000 men plus women and children in like a conference style, the big event styles. We see Jesus gathered and, and, and gathered people publicly and there was something powerful in that. What we also see in the life of Jesus is that he had his group of 12 plus a few other travelling companions. And this is what he would have called his microchurch. There's smaller groups between, somewhere between four and 20 people, and we want to really start meeting in these groups together because the truth is we have three masks in our life. 
we have the public mask. And so, you know, we come to church on a Sunday and, and we get here and we've probably been arguing with our wife in the car on the way here or we've been yelling at our kids. And then we get to church and you go, how are you going, Jacob? Great. Because we have our public mask. And then we have our personal mask where when you're, when you're in, a, in a micro church or a small gathering of family dinner or a group of people where, you know, you might go, oh, the kids are driving me nuts or, um, or I'm, you know, struggling in this area. And so then we have our personal. But then there's another mask that we can take off when there's just a, a few people. And we'll talk about that when we talk about packs. But if you're not part of a micro church, if you're not part of a smaller family of believers, then most of the time you're just going to run around with your public mask on and you're not going to allow other people to pray with you in that next level. Can I encourage you to be part of a microchurch? The picture of microchurch that I get is the Last Supper where Jesus is sitting around the table and they're eating together and they're having communion together and Jesus is just sharing and there's interaction and they're all growing in faith. We want to really work on gathering together personally, where we take off that public mask and we actually do life together. We also want to meet in packs. Now, this is something that we're going to spend a lot of time on in the next six months. You know, most of us in life don't have one or two people in our lives who we can be vulnerable with. The truth is Jesus, who was amazing, who was God, he had his pack. Because if you read through the Bible, there were three disciples that got greater access to his life. Peter, James and John. When he revealed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, he did not take all the 12. He did not take the 72. The crowd were not allowed there. There was three. And he showed them that. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, who was there with him? When he was at his most vulnerable in need of support, in needing people to have his back in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was literally sweating blood. Who did he have come and pray with him? Peter, James and John. Jesus had his pack. We can't do this Christian walk alone. So we need a small group of people that we can take off the public mask, take off the personal mask and actually get real and vulnerable with people and say, you know what? I might not be sweating blood, but I need you people praying with me, helping with me, people who we can be accountable with. See, in these groups, we hold one another accountable in our spiritual growth. We pray together. We teach each other through Scripture and build each other up in the faith. Ezia doesn't like the word pack, but I like all the things to start with the same letter. So unless you can think of another word that starts with P that covers that, I like the idea of a wolf pack. And I know the Bible says some not so great things about wolves, but what I love is that they've got each other's back. So we want to, um, we want to start to implement these things. And, and the truth is that as a group of Christians, if we are gathering together publicly, if we're gathering together in smaller micro churches, and then if we've got also a small discipleship pack, we're going to be on fire for God. Because we're not going to be hiding things in our lives. We're going to be sorting through the sin that we need to deal with. We're going to be having people praying for us and with us against our temptations. And we're going to be encouraging one another to go. And all that is going to help us grow. 
And so how do we grow? We grow with three L's. Listen, learn and love. You know, growing Christ-like, and I love that Steve and, um, talked about that with the kids, like just copy Christ. <laughs> you know, my favourite, maybe my favourite passage of Scripture, and you've heard me say this a lot, is this one. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That needs to be the cry of our heart that there's someone in our lives who we're allowing to mentor us because they're pursuing to be like Christ and we're pursuing to be like Christ and hopefully we're living our life that others can imitate because they're not imitating me, the person, they're imitating me being like Christ. You know, growing Christ-like is a lifelong process. It's not an instant fix. Trust me, I've prayed for that lightning bolt where everything that's bad in my life, every floor, every bit of failure just goes away. Maybe for you, you're lucky, but for me, it's a lifelong journey. And so I have people in my lives that I ring regularly who are Christ-like, who are mentoring me, who I'm listening to, I'm learning from, and I'm learning to love like. The truth is we grow as we listen to the voice of God The truth is we grow when we learn from Scripture and those who teach it. And when I say those who teach it, I don't just mean those who preach from the front. Have you ever had coffee with someone and you're just like, that person's like Jesus? (laughs) Because there's just something forgiving and something loving and something gentle and compassionate and wise. And we grow as we give love that has been given to us. You want to learn to grow in like forgiveness, actually have to forgive someone. And that takes love. We grow as we give out the love that is first given to us. Disciples who grow, listen and hear and then use what God is saying to learn and then action that learning through acts of love. Another one of my favourite scriptures says, by this... By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I I really love that it doesn't say um, by the way you preach or by the way you play guitar or by the way you give to the poor. You know, all those are kind of incorporated in this love thing, but it's actually through love for one another that people will know that we are his disciples. So we want to really unpack this more over the rest of this year. I want each of us to be able to hear from God through Scripture, through the prophetic voice of God, through the Holy Spirit's leading. We don't want to be a church that has to come on a Sunday, a public gathering, and that be the only place where the people here hear from God. It should be the cherry on the top Because all week as you read Scripture, God's speaking to you. All week as you're dwelling in His presence, you're hearing God's voice and you're responding to that. We want to come together and it's just we're already encouraged. We're not relying on that one word from the prophet or from the word at the end of our worship set to be our God voice and and control our lives. But we are listening to God each day. 
We're learning from that. We're learning from Scripture. We're learning from those in our packs. We're learning from those who we put in our lives. And then the natural outflow of that is that we're, we're growing as we start loving people and as we put um, feet to the words that are in our heart. And how do we go? Do you know, so many times in the life of church, of this church, of previous churches, of previous, previous churches, the question people have is, what are we doing to get people saved? And I understand I'm a jerk pastor. I get that. I'm, I'm different. I, I'm, I'm occasionally rude. And um, I usually reply with, well, we don't save people. The Holy Spirit saves people. And then that grinds their gears. But the truth is, our job is to go and declare the gospel. And the Holy Spirit works through people's lives, revealing Jesus because of the help that we've done by going and proclaiming the gospel. But it's not our job to get people saved, but it is our job to preach the gospel. And sometimes we use words and often it's through our actions. But the truth is we are required to go. Go and make disciples. That's what the Bible tells us very clearly. Now I've searched through Scripture Maybe you can search better, but I have not seen once programmed evangelism. Like I've seen um, missional evangelism where people go out and as they go out into their everyday worlds, as they're walking by, um, they have a focus and a, and a heart to see people um, know about Jesus. And so I'm not saying we won't do outreach barbecues. I'm not saying we won't do scheduled programmed outreach but what has to happen as we go, it has to be the flow of our everyday lives. It has to be that we understand that in our families, we are witnesses of Jesus. That in our workplaces, we are witnesses of Jesus. That in the community groups that we're part of, we are witnesses of Jesus. And that the world, as our mission field, we are witnesses of Jesus. I've labelled this care, community and calling. And if I ask you the question, who is in your care? You might say, what do you mean by that? I'd say, who are the people that you see every week or talk to on the phone every week? Maybe every month if some of you are slack like me at ringing my mum. Got challenged by that this morning and ring my mum this afternoon. But who's in your spiritual care? Who are the people that God's blessed you with, family, close friends, people who you connected with at work? You know, you have the responsibility to be Christ-like example for them, to declare the gospel to them. We don't have to preach, we don't have to Bible bash, but to show them the love of Christ. We go each Sunday, we really should just pray over each and every one of us that as we go out this week into our mission fields, that we would hear God well, that we would be Christ-like in our actions and have opportunities to glorify God in, in the week we have with the people that God has placed us to provide spiritual care to. And so who's in your spiritual care? Maybe write a list of those people in your life those that are already Christians, those that are not yet to know Jesus, and start a prayer list for them, that you'd have opportunity to pray Christ into their life. Second question is, what communities are you a part of? 
Because if you're part of a surf club, if you're part of a sports club, if you're part of a music club, if you're part of what is something that there's a large group of people that you happen to be associated in? It might be where you live. It might be where you hang out. It may be in a greater work environment. You're there as a missionary for Jesus. It's not by chance that you enjoy a certain sport. It's not by chance that you're associating in that Pokemon group. There's a reason, and that is that you have an opportunity to preach the gospel. And the third part of that, and that really comes from once we start ministering in our, in our care and in our community spaces, then what happens is we actually find that we have certain giftings and certain callings, and then we have an opportunity to add that to both our church and then our greater world. Acts 1 verse 18 says this, It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the truth is as Spirit-filled Christians, we receive power and we receive authority and we receive a commission to be witnesses of Jesus. And, And to be witness biblically means to profess Christ and to proclaim Christ. It's almost have a, we're almost like a flag that just says, I am of Christ. Christ is amazing and Christ is real. That's what to be a witness means, that people see Christ as we're in those places. Now, you could very easily argue with this not being fully theologically correct, and I'm okay with that. As I was reading this scripture, I felt... The word Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm sure you could preach this very differently. I'm sure it has lots of different meanings. meanings. But for us, Jerusalem for us can mean those in your care. And what I mean by that is in the Jewish time, they'd go to Jerusalem as a place of being in God's presence, as in of worshipping God. And they'd go through a whole list of different prayers that they would do and certain things. Like it was like when you go there, you tick off this, this, this and this to get your faith right, to get your walk right and the things that you're responsible for. One of the prayers that they pray was a prayer for the restoration of the house of our lives. And I want to suggest to us that those under our care are those in the house of our lives. And so I want to suggest to us that those who we, um, in our family, our extended family, those who we associate with each week are in part of the house of our lives and that we are responsible for the restoration of them spiritually. And so when we see that passage, Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in those areas that we care for, in the, for those people that we care to bring restoration for the house of our lives, those people who are part of our family. I think Judea and Samaria for us represent the communities that we're part of. We're not just part of one community. The days and the circles that we associate with, there's multiple communities that we associate with and we are to be witnesses there. And then to the ends of the earth talks about our greater calling. 
Some of the things that we're going to do over the next six months is we're going to look at the fivefold ministry giftings. And I'm a real believer that we all operate in certain areas of the church and that those areas, and the truth is, what we can do and we've preached wrong in church is someone might go, oh, I'm an evangelist, so I'm going out to get people saved. The role of an evangelist in the life of the church is to train and equip and encourage others to do the ministry. So we're all called to be pastors. We're all called to be teachers. We're all called to be prophets. We're all called to be apostolic. We're called to be evangelists to a certain extent. But people with gifts and callings have a responsibility to remind others, to train others, to encourage others and equip others to do that also. So we're not just going to form groups and all the evangelists are the ones who go. Now the evangelists are going to remind us all that we need to go because there's all people that we care for. There's all communities that we're part of and have to be witnesses in. And then we're going to encourage each other in our greater callings. And the truth and the reality is that saved people serve others. Saved people share with others and saved people sacrifice for others. And we want to be people who do that. We don't want the 80-20 rule to operate in the life of this church. We want the 90-10 or the 100-0 rule to operate in this church. When we live out Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, the Great Commission, we need to understand that Going and making disciples of all nations starts in our homes. Then it extends in our communities and then it reaches to all the world. By living lives that reflect Christ firstly around those who God has placed in our personal care, our families, our friends, our co-workers and those we speak to regularly, that's where it starts. Secondly, our community. What communities are we part of? How can we be witnesses and glorify God? And then as we grow in maturity and and start nailing those other things, then all of a sudden our natural calling is going to be used in the life of the church and beyond. So to summarise today, so next Sunday we're going to talk about church DNA and the accent that comes from church DNA. And because the truth is that, you know, you can tell an American by their accents. You can tell a Cabago person by their accent. You can tell a Pambula Beach person by their accent. You can tell a Wallagoot person by their accent. We're going to look at that next week and then we're going to go into a lunch after that. But our vision is simply this, to amplify the gospel in a new sound. Our mission is to gather together, to grow together and to go together. And as we gather together publicly, personally and in packs, we're going to grow together as we listen, as we learn and we love. And then we're going to go to the areas that of people under our care, the communities that we're in, and then follow in our greater calling. I'm going to pray and we're going to get the music team to come up and off ruins their stage. So I apologise. I might pray for a long time so they get a bit of time to sit up. Father God, thank you for your example to us through the scripture of how we can resonate. Lord, I pray that as people just think on this, through this, Lord, I pray that it would resonate in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that maybe this week 
we'd start by writing a list of those who we believe are under our spiritual care so that we can be witnesses of Christ to them under our care who don't yet know you. Lord, I pray we consider the communities that we're in, how we can be witnesses. Lord, I pray that we pray about packs this week, that we think about who can we unmask before so that we can gather with and grow with you, so give us strength to go. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for what you're doing. We give you all praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.